Chapter 16, page 127. The silence was ear-splitting. Finally, Pitch spoke up. Count me in. Somebody's got to teach this creep a lesson. Logan was next. Me too. It's the ultimate challenge for an actor. Easy for you to say, muttered Savannah. You'll be safe and sound across the street. If the cops come, you can tell them you've never seen us before in your life. It may be a break-in, but it isn't stealing, Griffin reminded him. That card is ours. If any stealing happened, it was Swindle who did it. Sure, Savannah said sarcastically. That's the first thing that pops into a policeman's mind when he catches you blowtorching a safe. If you don't make the payments on your car, Griffin argued, they send a guy to repossess it. He steals it just like any car thief would, but it's perfectly legal. That's exactly what we're doing, repossessing a baseball card. Melissa spoke up. I thought that note was in my locker by mistake, but I guess you guys really did want me. Of course we did, Ben assured her. But are you in or out? Oh, I'm in, she confirmed. It's the first time anybody's ever asked me to do anything. Savannah was the picture of outrage. I would have bet five of those Babe Ruth cards that you guys were going to stand up and tell these two maniacs to stuff it. What's the matter with you people? Griffin regarded her intently. It all comes down to you, Savannah. Yeah, right. Like I've got a choice, she raged. You've fixed it, so I have to go along, just to protect poor Luther. Ben couldn't believe his ears. Poor Luther? I can picture exactly how it'll play out. You're going to bumble around that house until he's got no choice but to bite one of you. Then the ASPCA is going to want to put him down because he's vicious. Well, he's not. That's why I'm going to be there every step of the way to make sure nothing happens to Luther. It's a go then, Griffin announced. The auction is on October 17th. That gives us five days to make our move. I don't have to tell you that total secrecy is a must. You can't talk to anybody about this, no matter how good you think they are at keeping secrets. No best friends, no favorite grandmothers, no personal life coaches, not even your pen pal who lives in Hong Kong. No one else can find out about this. On that note, a pile of flattened volleyballs sneezed. Bless you, Ben said automatically. Then, hey, balls began tumbling in all directions as the mountain moved. A head broke the surface of the rock slide as Darren Vader got to his feet. How much did you hear? Griffin demanded. All of it, Darren replied cheerfully. That's quite a plan you've got there, Bing. When the funeral home starts burying people in Ziploc bags, I'll know some of you fell off the roof. If you breathe a word of this, take it easy, Shorty, Darren interrupted. I don't want to rat you out. I want a piece of the action. What are you talking about? Griffin snapped. A piece of what action? I want in on the heist. No way, Griffin ruled. We picked the team to fit the plan. If we suddenly have an opening for an obnoxious big mouth, you'll be the first person we call. You need me, Darren argued. You've got a climber, an actor, a computer geek, and a dog handler. But you're missing one thing, muscle. A baseball card isn't very heavy, Ben said evenly. But people are... 
especially if you have to lower them by ropes or pull them up again, through a skylight, let's say. I don't care how strong you are, Griffin seized. You don't call the shots. There are six of us and only one of you. Fine, but if I have to walk out of here, I'm going straight to Mr. Palomino. Griffin stared at him, his eyes twin lasers. You wouldn't dare. Darren seemed surprised. It wouldn't take much daring from me. You're the ones who are going to get into a ton of trouble. Griffin read Darren's mocking expression and knew that the threat was very real. Darren had been his nemesis since kindergarten. He wouldn't hesitate to sell them out. It had all come down to either or, either let Darren in or give up the plan altogether. He looked from face to face at Ben and the team. One at a time, they nodded. Pitch was last. It can't hurt to have a muscle head around. Darren beamed. You won't regret this. Griffin regretted it already. Chapter 17, page 133. The next day, Logan Kellerman started up the walk at 530 Park Avenue Extension, a package under his arm. Eli Mulrooney was sitting on his porch, just as Griffin and Ben had been certain he'd be. He's always there, Griffin had said. We passed by that place a dozen different times. He might as well be a pink flamingo on the lawn. What can I do for you, son? Logan beamed at the old man. I live at 530 University, and this parcel was delivered to our house by mistake. Are you, he consulted the label, E. Mulroney? That's my name, but I'm not expecting any packages. Logan stepped onto the porch and showed the old man the label, fresh from the printer of Melissa's computer. Mr. Mulroney looked bewildered. That's me, all right. Who's it from? Logan shrugged. It doesn't say. Maybe there's a card inside. The old man produced a lethal-looking pocket knife and neatly slit the tape sides of the carton. Several hundred styrofoam peanuts scattered across the porch. God bless America, he roared at the mess. Then he pulled out a magnetic chess, checkers, and a backgammon set, a box of dominoes, a deck of cards, and a Monopoly game. No, no, asked Logan. I'm not reaching in there. Those fool peanuts stick to your hand and you can't shake them off. Well, it must be from someone who knows you like games, Logan persisted. I hate games, Mulroney snapped. Although, his eyes gleamed, I used to be a real whiz at backgammon. Of course, that was a long time ago. Logan sensed the opening and went for it. I've always wanted to play backgammon. Would you teach me? You know, if you have time. The old man raised an eyebrow. Doesn't a kid like you have something better to do than pal around with an old geezer? This is it, thought Logan. Time for his talent to shine. He cultivated a wan look that was part shy and part sad. Not really. We just moved here. I haven't made any friends yet. Pull up a chair, son. What's your name? Logan's heart was pounding. His first real acting job. And this one could bring in the biggest paycheck this side of Hollywood. That night, the heist team gathered in the Bing's garage for the unveiling of Griffin's new plan. The smart pick leaned against the wall, standing like a sentry over the crowded workbench, 
the nerve center of the operation. The great baseball card heist, round two. The team, one, Griffin Bing, team leader and blowtorch operator. Two, Ben Slovak, lieutenant and tight spaces specialist. Three, Savannah Drysdale, dog whisperer. Four, Logan Kellerman, nosy neighbor neutralizer and lookout number one. Five, Antonia Pitch Benson, second story woman. Six, Melissa Dukakis, electronics and lookout number two. Seven, Darren Vader, muscle and miscellaneous. Rendezvous point, water tower. Entry point, skylight. Okay, Griffin turned to Pitch. How do we get in? We're going to need a 24-foot extension ladder, she replied. That'll get us to the edge of the roof. She produced a photograph of the rear of the Palomino house. See that vent pipe? We'll loop a rope around it. Then we can climb up and over to the skylight, which is right here, she pointed, just below the peak on the east side. Sounds simple enough, said Griffin. If you're a mountain goat, Ben added nervously. It's not as scary as you think, Pitch assured him. We'll wear climbing harnesses up on the roof. Even if you fall, you don't fall. I'll run you guys through a quick mountaineering 101 before we go. But that's just to get you used to the equipment. There's no real danger. Right, Griffin approved. Okay, Logan, you're next. How's it going with Mr. Mulroney? Logan was his usual modest self. If they gave Academy Awards for heists, I'd walk away with all the hardware. I have created a role so real, so three-dimensional, so heartwarming. Oh, just spit it out, Darren demanded impatiently. He's teaching me to play backgammon, but it's so much more. I've truly become this character. I should hope so, said Griffin. It's you. You're playing yourself. And the whole point is to make sure the old guy doesn't get a whiff of what we're doing and call the cops. Now, what's your report? Nothing gets Mr. Mulroney out of his chair, that's for sure, Logan told him. He takes bathroom breaks. He makes sandwiches to eat outside. He says he only needs three or four hours of sleep a night. He's kind of a wingnut, and you know what? I like him a lot. Maybe I'm a wingnut, too. You think? Put in Darren in a voice that dripped with sarcasm. Oh, yeah, added Logan. He's really proud of the fact that even at his age, he still has 20-20 vision. Ben held his head. You're sure there isn't anything else we need to know? Maybe his rocking chair has radar? No, that's pretty much it, except the skylight. You can see it from Mr. Moroni's porch, even at night. The streetlight reflects off the glass. Ben blew his stack. When were you planning on mentioning this? When's the guys dialing 911 on heist night? We'll have to figure out a way to turn off the streetlight for a while, said Griffin. Now, Melissa, have you made any progress hacking into Swindle's email? Melissa parted her hair. Oh, that's already done. He has two addresses, one personal and one for business. They both run through the website he set up for his store. Every message he gets comes to my computer first. What we need, Griffin explained, is a time when it's safe to make our move. You know, a good three or four hour window when he'll definitely be out of the house. I didn't see anything like that.
How about a weekend out of town, Ben persisted, a wedding or a family reunion, even a big fancy dinner in New York City? She shrugged. Not really. Most of his personal email is just spam. There was something from the New York Rangers Booster Club and a notice from e-grocer that his 20-pound turkey had been shipped. Griffin was disgusted. Oh, sure. Like a nasty, obnoxious crook knows enough people willing to sit down and eat a 20-pound turkey with him. Well, Logan reasoned, Thanksgiving isn't too far away. If you've got nothing better to do on a holiday than hang out with Swindle, Ben said sadly, you've got nothing to be thankful for. This is just peachy, Griffin moaned. We've got the perfect plan and no chance to try it because we can't get that jerk out of the house. Could you try it during the day when he's at the store, Savannah suggested. I thought of that, said Griffin. It's just too exposed. The latter alone would stand out like a sore thumb. Griffin laughed out loud. Bing, you're such a dope. This auction is going to come and go while you sit around waiting for him to go to the movies. Use your brain. If you want him out of, get him out. Pitch was angry. We can't kidnap the guy. He sells sports memorabilia, Darren ranted. He's a Rangers fan. Buy him a ticket to a hockey game. Oh, yeah, Griffin seized. Here's a little thank you gift for ripping us off. That'll work. Maybe we could mail it to him with a letter saying he won it as a prize, Savannah suggested. Griffin shook his head. He'll see through it in a second. You don't win a contest when you never entered one. Darren was growing exasperated. Here's what you do. Stick the ticket in a birthday card with somebody else's name on the envelope and drop it in Swindle's mail slot like somebody delivered it to the wrong house. If this guy is as rotten as you say he is, he won't be able to resist the idea that he's cheating somebody out of a ticket. Of course, he'll go to the game and he'll stay to the last shot of the final period. Is that how your sick mind works? Pitch ass revolted. No, Griffin said excitedly. I think Darren's on to something. Griffin Bing and Darren Vader had never been friends. Griffin had accepted Darren on the team only because he'd been blackmailed into it. He disliked Darren, but even worse, he didn't trust him. And in an operation like this, trust was everything. But now he was coming to understand that Darren brought a talent to the heist that even the boy himself didn't see. Darren was so awful that he was actually capable of thinking like Swindle. Chapter 18, page 144. Heist Day, Thursday, October 16. Hockey game, Madison Square Garden, Rangers versus Maple Leafs. Puck drops at 8 p.m. Swindle leaves for New York City. 6.30 to 7 o'clock. Sundown, 6.41. Zero hour, 7.30. Griffin sat back and examined the timetables. It should all go like clockwork. They had the right plan and the right people. They should be able to nab the card and be safe at home before the start of the third period of the Rangers game, even allowing for the odd glitch. He wasn't totally comfortable with the idea of the heist taking place the very day before Worthington's annual sports memorabilia auction, but there was no way around it. 
The Rangers were coming off a long road trip, and Thursday was their only game in New York before the 17th. It was the 16th or never, and never was not an option. He regarded the single hockey ticket that sat on his desk. 80 bucks for a jerk-like swindle. His one consolation was that he and Ben had paid for the ticket out of the money that Crook had given them for the Babe Ruth card. There was a kind of poetry to it, Swindle financing his own downfall with his sleazy dealings. Revenge was going to be sweet. Still, Griffin couldn't shake an uneasy feeling. Everyone was risking serious trouble by being a part of this. If something went wrong on Thursday and they were caught, Griffin knew he would have to find a way to take all the blame. This was his struggle, his family's fate. Ben and the others shouldn't have to pay for that. Okay, I admit it. I'm nervous. A little dose of fear is good in an operation like this. It keeps you sharp. He had a key on his computer to bring the monitor out of screensaver mode. Sure enough, there was another message from Melissa. Subject, homework. Their code word for heist business. Melissa had been sending him copies of Swindle's intercepted emails. This one was a video clip advertising Worthington's annual sports memorabilia auction. Griffin clicked on the link and watched a 60-second promo video. His lip curled with outrage. The Babe Ruth card was the talk of this year's event. The announcer called it the most exciting find in the past half century. There was an excerpt from an interview with S. Wendell Palomino. It showed the smirking creep looking on while a conference table of experts oohed and odd over the Bambino. One of them even compared it to the famous Honus Wagner card. Everyone agreed it was going to sell for a fortune. Magnificent, pronounced a man who was holding the treasure under a magnifying glass. But why is it so cold? The self-satisfied con man had an answer, like he always did. That's for all the cold, hard cash it's going to bring in. By the time it was over, Griffin was shaking with fury. Whatever doubts he might have had about Thursday night disappeared at the sound of Swindle's smug gloating. This flim-flam artist could not be allowed to profit from his crime. Sometimes it took an act of thievery to stop a thief. The sun was setting as S. Wendell Palomino unlocked his door, stepped into the foyer, and keyed in the code that turned off his alarm. He was in a good mood. It was easy to be in a good mood when you were rich, or at least when you could be on Friday. He bent over and picked up the mail that had been dropped through the slot. Bill, bill, magazine, junk mail. What was this? The blue square envelope had no address or stamp which meant that someone had delivered it by hand and to the wrong house because the notation on the front said, to Uncle Archie with love. Without a qualm, he ripped the envelope open and pulled out a brightly colored birthday card. Inside was written, Happy 50th, enjoy the game, love Maggie and Ted. A ticket to Thursday night's Rangers Leaf game was attached by a paperclip. A slow smile spread over Palomino's broad face. Better and better, he reflected, sunny side up eyes gleaming. Well, maybe not for Archie. He's not going to the game. 
I am. Chapter 19, page 149. Thursday, the day of the operation. Griffin could not remember school time so utterly wasted. Mr. Martinez might as well have been delivering his lessons in Swahili for all that Griffin was listening. His mind was lost in the details of the plan. It was like being scheduled to wrestle an alligator later, but right now you were expected to alphabetize spelling words and pretend it was important. He could tell the other team members were also feeling the pressure. When Ben went down to the nurse for his allergy medication, he tripped over his own feet on the way out. Pitch was focused and distant. Logan was mumbling to himself more than usual, and his ramblings had nothing to do with upcoming auditions. Savannah was so distracted that she was halfway through her sandwich before remembering to ask the cafeteria ladies if it had been made using dolphin-safe tuna. Even Darren was quiet, withdrawn, and slightly less obnoxious than usual. As for Melissa, nobody could tell. She might have been freaking out behind the curtain of hair. One thing for sure, she was still on the job, turning her laptop around, monitoring Swindle's email. It was after lunch, zero hour, minus six, when she approached Griffin. We have a problem, she whispered. Griffin tried not to let his trepidation show as he looked at the message on the screen. Mr. Palomino, due to increased media attention, Worthington Auction House has decided to pick up your item on Thursday afternoon rather than Friday morning. Our bonded carrier will be at your house between 4.30 and 5 p.m., Please reconfirm your address, 531 Park Avenue Extension, Cedarville, New York. Yours truly, Eric Mansfield, Courier Dispatch. All Griffin's panic came out through Ben's mouth. That's two hours before we move in, the smaller boy cried. Griffin, what are we going to do? We can't steal a card that's already in New York City. Griffin was practicing deep breathing, struggling to keep control. Okay, I'm glad this happened. This is good news. Ben was appalled. How do you figure that? Something unexpected happens in every plan. Now we've got that out of the way, and we can work around it. The card not being there anymore isn't something we can work around, Ben rasped. Swindle hasn't seen this message yet, Melissa reminded them. I stopped it before it ever got to his computer. Couldn't we just answer the auction guy and pretend to be Swindle? We could tell him to come a few hours later. Too risky, said Griffin, whistling between his teeth. If they can't do it, they might try to phone. What would be perfect is if they just got lost. Maybe we could give them the wrong directions, Ben suggested. They're not asking for directions, Melissa pointed out. They've probably got one of those satellite navigation systems. Griffin's thoughtful expression bloomed into a wide grin. Let me see that computer. He swiveled the laptop around and began to type. Mr. Mansfield, urgent. Note address correction. The town is not Cedarville. It is Cedar Springs. Thanks, S. Wendell Palomino. The three exchanged nervous smiles. Cedar Springs was in Westchester County, 60 miles away. At 6.30, zero hour minus one, Logan Kellerman rode his bike down Park Avenue Extension 
and pulled onto the driveway of number 530. Eli Mulroney was already in its usual spot on the front porch. The only difference in the retired miner's unbreakable routine was that now there were two rockers out there, separated by a low table that held the backgammon board. I'm surprised you've got the guts to show your face around here, the old man taunted. After how badly I kicked you around last time? Logan smiled. It's only 11 games to 7. Losing, but not too obviously, was all part of the acting job. This role would be for Logan what Pirates of the Caribbean was for Johnny Depp. They set up the pieces, anchoring the board with a stone as protection against the stiff breeze. Windy tonight, Logan commented. I wasn't sure you'd be out. Mulroney cackled. We're catching the northern edge of that big storm pounding the Carolinas. Gusts up to 50 miles per hour. He rolled the dice. Logan looked across the street to the steep roof of Swindle's house and shuddered. They began to play, with Mulroney jumping to an early advantage. Neither took much notice of the three girls who were rollerblading on the sidewalk. Logan, of course, knew they were Melissa, Savannah, and Pitch. Nor was he surprised when all three chose the patch of grass around the streetlight to sit down and tighten their skate laces. Furthermore, he understood that only two of them were attending the laces. Melissa, hidden by the others, was unscrewing the access panel at the base of the pole. She slipped on an insulated glove, reached in with a tiny wire cutter, and snipped every electrical cable she could find. Then she replaced the faceplate, and the three girls bladed off along the street. The entire procedure was over in less time than it took Mr. Moroni to decide how to play his double fives. The door of number 531 opened, and Swindle stepped out, dressed in a voluminous New York Rangers jersey that covered his ample stomach and stretched almost to his knees. He got into his Honda Element and drove off in the direction of the highway. Griffin would be pleased. Swindle had taken the bait. Everything was setting up nicely for the operation tonight. A few minutes later, when the streetlights came on, the one in front of the Palomino house remained dark. Chapter 20, page 156. When night fell, six dark-clad figures wearing gloves and stocking caps met in the grass beneath the huge tank of the Cedarville Municipal Water Tower. The wind plucked at their clothing and howled through the support girders all around them. Griffin thought he could never be happy to see the nasty leering face of Darren Vader. But Darren looked pretty good to him tonight, especially since the big boy was lugging his father's giant folding aluminum ladder. Griffin peered around, counting heads. The team was in place. He shrugged his shoulders to resettle the blowtorch strapped to his back. He cleared his throat and launched into the speech he'd been preparing in his head ever since the idea for this heist has been hatched. What we are doing tonight isn't about a baseball card, he began. It isn't even about money. Tonight we show that fairness isn't something that's just for adults and that you can't get away with dumping on people just because they're younger than you. Tonight we make our statement. Tonight, yada, 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 drawled Darren in a bored voice. 
Can it, Bing? I'm not in the mood. As much as I hate to agree with Darren, Pitch added, he's right. We're all scared enough, Griffin. We don't need to talk about why we're doing this. Let's just do it. Griffin nodded, hiding his disappointment. Okay, let's go. As dog whisperer, Savannah was the first over the fence. She called for Luther a few times, then stood silently, almost as if she were trying to sense the animal's presence. He's not outside, she finally reported. One by one, they crossed the fence. Darren was last, handing the ladder over to Griffin before clambering up and jumping to Swindle's lawn. It was when they got to the rear of the house, as Darren and Pitch were unfolding the four six-foot extensions, that Griffin felt a tug at his sleeve. Ben. Griffin, I've got to talk to you. Can it wait? Ben grabbed his friend tightly by the arm. I can't go on the roof. Griffin was thunderstruck. Of course you can. No, I can't. I thought I could, but I can't. I'm sorry. Griffin pulled his friend aside. I was worried about one of these clowns wimping out the way they did the night of the old Rockford house. But you? What are you afraid of? The wind? We'll be harnessed, remember. I'm afraid I'll fall asleep, Ben said in a sheepish voice. Griffin was beside himself. Fall asleep? Are we boring you? The heist isn't exciting enough to keep you awake. What more do you need? Air raid sirens? Don't make jokes. I never told anybody about this. I have narcolepsy. What? What's that? My body has trouble regulating sleep, Ben explained. I might fall in a deep sleep at any time of the day or night. But that doesn't happen to you, Griffin protested, does it? You can control it by taking short naps during the day, Ben explained. He flushed. You know how I go to the nurse for allergy medicine? Well, it's not allergies. I take a 15-minute nap, and it gets me through the afternoon. But whenever my schedule is off, my narcolepsy gets worse. Remember when I fell asleep inside the crate in Swindle's store? Griffin was chastened. I'm really sorry, man. I had no clue. I thought I could tough it through, Ben went on miserably. But I'm yawning. My eyelids are heavy. I'm feeling all the signs. I don't want to leave you in the lurch, but there are no do-overs for falling off a ladder. Not to mention that I could wipe out the whole team on the way down. Griffin made a split-second decision. Guys, he announced, change of plan. Ben's going to take the lookout spot in the front bushes. Melissa, that means you have to go in from the roof with us. Are you up for it? Melissa parted her hair, and even in the darkness, it was obvious that her eyes were gleaming. She handed her walkie-talkie to Ben. Good luck. Good luck to all of us, said Pitch, unzipping her duffel bag. Five climbing harnesses tumbled out. As Ben set off around the side of the house, slinking through the shadows, Pitch fitted her teammates into their vests. There was a soft thud as the extension ladder touched into place against the side of the house. The break-in had begun. With Pitch in the lead, the team made the climb in close order. Twenty-four feet had never felt so far or so high. The wind seemed to be trying to tear them free of the aluminum rungs. Only Pitch's calm encouragement kept them moving upward. 
that and the fact that retreat was just as unthinkable. Griffin was in second position, right behind Pitch. He'd heard a lot about her family and their climbing skills, but this was the first time he'd witnessed them in real life. Her work was impressive, anchored by nothing more than the strength and sureness of her hands and feet, she ascended the steep grade toward the high peak of the roof. There, hanging on by the sheer tension in her body, she pulled the coil of rope from her shoulder, lashed one end to a steel vent pipe, and ran the other end through the clip on her harness. Now securely tethered, she strung four more cords around the pipe and carried these back down to her novice climbers on the ladder. One by one, she threaded the ropes through their vests and hauled them up to the roof. Even knowing they were safely harnessed was barely enough to keep Griffins from depositing his dinner on Swindle's black shingles. The environment was so alien that he felt like he was attempting a spacewalk. The unfamiliar slant of the surface under him, the buffeting wind, the near total darkness. In painful silence, the team crawled up to the peak and over. Now they were descending to the front of the roof, inching toward the skylight that was their way in. Suddenly, Darren was sliding out of control down the incline. He didn't scream, but Griffin caught a glimpse of eyes wide with horror as the boy slipped helplessly past the skylight, heading for a 20-foot drop. Barely a yard from the edge, his rope went taut, and he was no longer moving. Pitch was as good as her word. Even if you fall, you don't fall. Relax, she called softly. Catch your breath and meet us at the skylight. Darren nodded, chastened. It was one of the rare occasions when he had no smart Alec comment to offer. He got to his knees, advancing along his rope, hand over hand. A few minutes later, the five members of the heist team were assembled around the skylight. Griffin and Pitch felt around the gasket that water-sealed the pyramid-shaped window. Their fingers fit easily underneath the rubber, and they were able to pry the heavy glass up. Triumph surged through Griffin as he looked down into Swindle's second-story bathroom. They were in. Chapter 21, page 164. In all the years he had worked as a bonded courier for the Washington Auction House, Lamar Fontaine had never been so lost. Cedar Springs, New York, was a tiny hamlet tucked in a remote corner of Westchester County. There was a Park Avenue, but no Park Avenue extension. If you extended Park Avenue, you'd end up at the bottom of a lake. And there was definitely no number 531. They weren't 531 houses in the whole town, and probably not 531 Cedar Springers. He felt like he had already spoken to most of them, asking directions. This was worse than the time he had to transport that Ming vase through Brooklyn during the big blackout. He finally located a gas station and went inside for help. The mini-mart clerk had no idea, but one of the customers was able to shed some light on the subject. Listen, I don't want to tell you your business, but I grew up on Long Island, and I think what you're looking for is Cedarville, not Cedar Springs. They've got the only Park Avenue extension I know. Thanks. 
Fontaine returned to his SUV. Wrong town, wrong county, wrong part of the state. It was the Ming vase all over again. Why him? Five nylon ropes slapped to the floor of the bathroom under the skylight. Savannah lowered herself first, eyes peeled for signs of Luther. All clear, she called up. Griffin descended next, followed by Melissa and then Darren, who left a trail of boot marks on the wall. Griffin handed him a towel to erase the evidence. Pitch made sure the others were safely inside before jumping on her own rope and starting down. All at once, there was a screech of tearing metal, and she was plummeting toward them. Griffin moved to try to cushion her fall. Between himself and Darren, they half caught her, but could not prevent her angle from twisting as it hit the tile floor. Ow! The broken vent pipe came next, jagged and rusty, bearing all five climbing ropes. Pitch, are you all right? Griffin hissed urgently. Gritting her teeth, Pitch tested her right leg. She winced in pain. I don't think it's broken, she managed, but it's a nasty sprain. Can you walk? asked Savannah. I'll manage, Pitch replied stoically, but I won't be doing any climbing. She looked ruefully at the piece of pipe and its tangle of nylon. I guess none of us will be. The awful truth dawned on Griffin. Are you saying that we're trapped in here? Pitch nodded sadly. I could have gotten up there myself and rigged something for the rest of you guys, but not now. Pitch reached for the walkie-talkie on his belt. Ben, we've got a situation here. You've got to find a way to get up that ladder and drop us a new rope. I know it's not something you want to do, but this is an emergency. Pitch is, he frowned. Ben, Ben, are you there? He slapped the handset against his thigh. Come in, Ben, please. He looked at the others. Ben's out of the picture for a while. It's a long story. Are you saying, Savannah asked in horror, that we've got no choice but to wait around here until Swindle comes home and finds us? Forget that, Darren said flatly. Worse comes to worse, we walk out the front door. So the alarm goes off. Big deal. I'll take my chances beating the cops home. No alarm, Griffin exclaimed. Nobody opens a door or a window unless I say so. We stick to the plan. Darren indicated the injured pitch. Your precious plan is busted, or haven't you noticed? The plan is finding the card first, Griffin insisted. Then we worry about getting out. Melissa emerged from her hair. I'll check the alarm box in the meantime. There might be something I can do. You can't shut down the system, Griffin warned. That'll contact Swindle, and he'll call the police for sure. I'll be careful, Melissa promised. Trust me. Griffin was amazed at how much he actually did trust her. Everybody, remember to keep your gloves on. No fingerprints. He swallowed hard. Maybe this operation wasn't doomed yet. His thoughts were interrupted by a long, low growl from out in the hall. When Luther's black and tan head hooved into view in Griffin's flashlight beam, the Doberman was already moving at full speed in attack mode. Savannah! Griffin squeaked, pushing the dog whisperer into the path of 90 pounds of raw canine power. Savannah pulled off her stocking cap. 
allowing her long hair to spill onto her shoulders. Luther! Sweetie! The big guard dog interrupted itself in mid-pounce, landing on its back, wiggling like a puppy and presenting its belly to be scratched. Savannah obliged, cooing. Good boy. Beautiful boy. Oh, I missed you so much. Okay, guys. It wasn't until Griffin let out his breath that he realized he'd been holding it. Split up. We have to find that safe. Pitch limped into a small guest bedroom and sat down hard on the bed. She pulled up the leg of her jeans and shined her flashlight on her ankle. It didn't look too bad yet, but she knew that if she dared to take off her shoe, she'd never be able to get it back on again. This was going to swell up like a watermelon. She should probably be icing it right now. But in the middle of a heist, who had time? No way was she going to let the others down any more than she already had by getting hurt. Griffin came in. Any sign of the safe? Pitch hobbled over and checked the small closet. Nothing. Griffin noticed the grimace that accompanied her to every step. Are you going to be okay? Maybe you should sit this out. We'll find it. I'll live, Pitch assured him. Make sure you do. He ran out into the dark hall where he nearly bumped into Savannah and the dog. Griffin, there's something wrong with Luther. Yeah, he's a psychopath. What else is new? I'm serious. He's nervous and upset. He keeps looking over his shoulder. I think he's trying to tell me something. As if to prove her point, the dog closed its teeth gently on her sleeve and began tugging her toward the stairs. See? Look, Griffin said impatiently, we'll make an anonymous phone call tomorrow and tell Swindle to take him to the vet. But right now, you're just going to have to wing it. As long as the dog isn't chewing on anybody, he's fine, okay? But Griffin... All at once, Darren's voice called, I've got it. It's here. Chapter 22, page 172. The searchers converged on the master bedroom. Darren was on his hands and knees, aiming his flashlight under the nightstand. There, half hidden and bolted to the floor, stood the safe Griffin had first seen behind the counter in Palomino's Emporium of Collectibles and Memorabilia. The safe that held the million-dollar prize. Griffin pulled the blowtorch off his back and produced safety goggles and a flint lighter from his pocket. Give me some space, you guys, he said. He turned on the gas and sparked the flint to ignite the flame. Melissa had been staring at the front entrance for at least 20 minutes. The more she thought about it, the more obvious the solution seemed. Completely simple, but extremely delicate. There were two magnetic sensors, one on the door frame and one on the door itself. When the door opened, the two pieces separated lost contact, and that triggered the alarm. So all I have to do is take off the door sensor and tape it to the other unit. The problem was, if she made a mistake, if her hand slipped, if she dropped a component, she would get them all arrested. Melissa knew she was a whiz with electronics. At home, she had built her own computer from a kit. She could do this with her eyes closed and one hand tied behind her back. But the stakes had never been this high, with so many other people involved. 
She was such a loner. Being part of a team was a whole new experience for her. Maybe she should ask the others, talk to Griffin. She thought back to the green paper that had invited her to the first meeting in the ballroom. You have been chosen for your special skills. This was her skill. She was going to do this to prove to herself as much as anybody else that she belonged on this team. She ran to the kitchen and began rummaging around until she found the utility drawer. There, near the top, were the two items she'd been seeking, a small Phillips head screwdriver and a roll of masking tape. Back at the door, she propped up her flashlight on a hall table to illuminate her work area. Then she ran a circle of tape loosely around the two components. With the touch of a surgeon, good thing her gloves were tight and well-fitted, she removed the two screws holding the smaller contact to the door. Now it was free, held in place only by the masking tape. She was scared beyond belief, but her hands were rock steady. With agonizing care, she moved the unattached component until it was touching its partner on the doorframe. Another application of tape held the pair tightly together. There was just enough space for the door to open and close. So far, so good. All that remained was to test it. She unlocked the deadbolt, turned the knob, and opened the door about six inches. A blast of cool air assailed her, powered by the windy night. No alarm sounded. The thrill of her triumph was so overwhelming that she could scarcely keep from shouting. If she had shouted, she might have awakened Ben, who was a mere six feet away, curled up asleep at his post in the bushes, like he was in a feather bed. Luther, what's wrong? Savannah asked the Doberman for the umpteenth time. Why are you acting so strange? The dog whisperer had been trying to calm Luther's nervous restlessness couldn't be done. Savannah prided herself on being able to read an animal's thought from its body language, but all she could get from Luther was agitation. Even more upsetting, she couldn't shake the feeling that the creature was trying to tell her something important. Whining and twitching, Luther again grabbed her by the sleeve and began dragging her toward the staircase. Okay, I'm coming. Don't pull so hard. It was an effort to keep her feet as she was towed down the steps and across the checkered tile of the main hall. Scrambling to keep up, she realized that the dog had a very specific destination in mind, a makeshift office near the front of the house. The closer they got to the door, the jumpier Luther became. Intrigued, Savannah played her flashlight over the room. She almost missed it. Stretched out of sleep on a small rug was the largest German shepherd she'd ever seen. Even as she watched, the huge dog stirred and raised its massive head into the beam, its eyes fixed on her, glowing. Savannah Drysdale had never been afraid of an animal in her life, yet the savagery she saw in this shepherd's eyes coupled with the whimper of fear from the Doberman at her side, triggered a split-second decision. She slammed the door shut. The impact of a heavy body against the other side convinced her that she had done the right thing. 
She took hold of Luther's collar and raced back up the stairs. Full-throated barking resounded throughout the house. She arrived panting in the master bedroom, where Griffin was partway through burning a large hole into the side of the safe. Acrid smoke hung in the air, and the metal glowed bright orange along the track made by the blowtorch. Pitch sat on the bed, resting her injured leg. What's all that barking? What's the matter with Luther? Her bewildered gaze fell on the Doberman, standing docile at Savannah's side. Oh, there's another dog, blurted Savannah. I think it might be a trained attack dog. Griffin looked up in alarm. Is it loose? He's trapped in a room downstairs, Savannah quavered. At least, I think it's a he. I can't imagine a female that size. I'm afraid he'll find a way to break through the door. Can't you whisper him down, Darren demanded. That's supposed to be your job. This isn't the time to try, Savannah insisted. There are too many people around, intruders in a house he's trained to protect. Plus, he could set off Luther. The poor baby's terrified of this monster. With sinking hearts, the heist team realized that their dog whisperer was right. Savannah's words were punctuated by enraged barking and violent slams against a wooden door. Nobody panic, Griffin ordered. Another few minutes and I'll be into the safe. We'll have our card and Melissa has found us a way out. The plan is still on track. Luther's uneasy whimpers indicated that he didn't think so. Chapter 23, page 180. The backgammon tournament stood at 13 to 9 when the barking started. Listen to that racket, Eli Mulroney complained. Leave it to Palomine to have the two loudest dogs in creation. Logan sprayed a mouthful of ginger ale all over himself. Two dogs? The old man nodded in disgust. I thought Luther was bad enough. A couple of days ago, Palomine brought in that rent-a-beast. Makes Luther look like a hamster. I hear he's got some baseball card that's supposed to be valuable. There was nothing Logan could do but continue the game and try not to think about what might be going on across the street. Besides, he reflected, the team had a lookout. Melissa in the bushes. If things got too awful, Griffin would walkie-talkie her to go for help. A shiny black SUV moved slowly up the street, its driver hanging out the window, peering at address numbers. It passed the Mulroney house, then made a U-turn and pulled up in front of the porch, big motor idling. Excuse me, sir. I'm looking for 531 Park Avenue Extension. Mr. Mulroney pointed to the Palomino house. That's it right there. Can't see a blame thing with the streetlight out. The way they run this town should be a federal crime. Thanks. The SUV moved away from the curb, pulled into the Palomino driveway, and parked. Mr. Mulroney handed Logan the dice. Your turn. Logan? You look like you've just seen a ghost. It was much worse than that. Logan was watching the driver get out of the car and walk up the step to Swindle's front door. Griffin's eyes stung from the sweat pouring off his forehead and under his safety goggles. His stocking cap was drenched with perspiration. He had seen his father working with this blowtorch so many times. Never could he have imagined that it was so exhausting 
or maybe it was the excitement building inside him as he held the flame to the last quarter inch of metal. The thrill was indescribable. Barely a thread remained between him and the final realization of the greatest plan he would ever be a part of. It was so many things all at once. Victory, justice, revenge, not to mention a boatload of money. And then the piece tumbled to the carpet, and he was staring in the open flank of the lockbox. Darren positioned his flashlight so Griffin could see inside. Careful not to touch the red-hot edges of the hole, he reached in and removed the safe's contents. There were some papers, a handful of collectible coins, and $300 in cash. All five team members rifled through the box and everything that had been removed from it. The Bambino was not there. Darren put all their agony into words. Bing, you idiot. Where's the card? I thought it was in here, Griffin shot back. He was almost too shocked and upset to argue with Darren. I didn't burn into this thing for my health, you know. Pitt shook her head in grudging admiration. That guy, Swindle, he's one tough nut. He beat us, Savannah admitted sadly. This isn't over yet, Griffin vowed. The auction people expected to pick up that card today. It's in this house somewhere. This is just great, Darren seized. I nearly fell off the roof. There's a vicious dog chewing its way through a door, and now we've got no card. How could it be worse? The doorbell rang. Lamar Fontaine pressed the button for the second time. Ding dong! The house was dark, but he could have sworn he saw movement in a front room. Besides, he was a bonded courier entrusted with receiving and delivering an item worth as much as a million dollars. People did not stand him up, even when he was hours late. He rang one more time and then tried the knob. It turned and the door opened wide. The feeling was too familiar, fighting his way through cotton wool, struggling with that terrible, where am I feeling? And then Swindle's front bush was all around Ben Slovak. Oh no, the heist! There was hooting coming from across the street, and he struggled to remember what that might mean. The signal! Why would Logan be giving him the emergency signal? He looked up and saw the answer. A tall man was letting himself in through the front door. He pulled out his walkie-talkie and pressed the button. Griffin, there's a guy coming into the house. We know, came the whispered reply. Is it Swindle? No, definitely not Swindle. It must be somebody looking for Swindle. Cautiously, Ben crept up the stairs and peered inside through the side windows. The newcomer was in the foyer. Mr. Palomino, called the man. Courier service, Mr. Palomino. He crossed the hall and opened a door to peer inside. What happened next was an image so horrifying that it would remain forever burned into Ben's memory. Chapter 24, page 187. A hulking animal exploded out of the room and pounced on the intruder. Terrified, the man swung his briefcase and cracked the German shepherd across the snout. Yelping with pain and rage, 
the dog fell back for an instant. By the time it gathered itself for another charge, Lamar Fontaine was hightailing it across the tiles toward the basement steps. He slammed the door behind him a split second before the shepherd plowed into it, howling with fury as it re-injured its sore nose. It was preparing for another run when it heard a bark from above. That brought the guard dog galloping upstairs. Ben sounded the alarm for all the good it was going to do. Griffin, all of you, hide! But there was no time for hiding or even thinking. The rest of the team was trapped in the master bedroom. The shepherd appeared in the doorway, menacing them all and cutting off any avenue of, of escape. The dog whisperer stepped forward. Hi, big guy, she said in her most soothing tone. You don't want to hurt anybody. We're all friends here. Let's not get egg. With a malevolent roar, the monster leaped at her. Seeing Savannah in danger, Luther flung himself into the path of the attacking shepherd. The two dogs met in midair and fell, snarling and wrestling, to the floor. The heist team wasted no time getting out of the room and down the stairs, Griffin and Darren half-carrying Pitch. Ben met them at the midway landing. There's a dog after you, and it isn't Luther. Quick, the kitchen, ordered Savannah. Darren was wild-eyed. Why, are you going to whip up a souffle? I'm going to find some meat to distract that brute from killing poor Luther. Nobody gave her an argument. In a fight with a much larger shepherd, the dopamine was David facing Goliath. There was no question that Luther had risked his life to protect Savannah. The team hit the main floor and ran into the kitchen. Savannah ripped into the freezer and began rummaging for meat. Any steaks? Ben asked helpfully. Dogs love steak. I can't find anything. This is in the way. She lifted out an enormous frozen turkey and dumped it on the tiles. And there, in the middle of all that chaos, a strange calm descended over Griffin. It turned out his heist mates, and even the fact that there were two warring dogs, one flight up, he heard his own voice from days before. Oh, sure, like a nasty, obnoxious crook knows enough people willing to sit down and eat a 20-pound turkey with him. And that expert on the web click, holding the card, asking, Why is it so cold? Suddenly, he was on his knees over the frozen bird, reaching his hand into the breast cavity. Darren was disgusted. I always knew you were crazy, Bing, but I never thought you were the type to go digging in a turkey's butt. In answer, Griffin pulled out a Ziploc baggie. There was a picture peering through the clear plastic. Babe Ruth in a Boston Red Sox uniform. Savannah pulled the shrink rack off two T-bone stakes. She ran to the bottom of the staircase and flung them up to the top landing. In an instant, the two dogs had forgotten about each other and were chewing on the cold, hard meat. Griffin removed the card from the Ziploc and held it lovingly. This is the greatest moment of my life. Yeah, mine too. Darren snatched the prize out of his hand and ran for the front door. Sayonara, suckers! It was so shocking, so unexpected, that the team just stood there, open mouth, and watched him go. Then, 
total wild action, a stampede in heart pursuit. Even Pitch was running full tilt, hopping and limping through her pain. Griffin led the charge. Of all the things he'd planned for, all the in-case-offs and what-ifs, how could he have overlooked the most obvious possibility, a double cross from one of his own people, especially Darren, who had always been an enemy and an untrustworthy jerk. But what a price to pay for one mistake. Darren pounded down the front steps. Griffin followed, losing him, his breath momentarily to a gust of wind. Hot on his friend's heels, Ben vaulted up onto the porch rail and hurled himself like a flying squirrel at Darren's fleeing form. He missed the takedown, but his flailing arm caught Darren on the ankle. The big boy lost his balance and hit the ground like a ton of bricks. The Babe Ruth card popped out of his hand. Suddenly, the Bambino was airborne, riding a mammoth blast of wind. The team watched in agony as the million-dollar collectible flooded higher and higher, swirling on the turbulent air currents. The wind played with it for a few more seconds before depositing it in the lacy upper branches of a very tall maple tree. With a cry of frustration, Darren got up, rushed to the trunk, and began climbing like a madman. Griffin turned to pitch. No way, she said, reading his mind. Not with this ankle, and I don't want any of you idiots trying it. You'll wind up dead, and probably so will he. She cupped her hands to her mouth. Darren, you'll never make it. What about the ladder, Ben suggested? Not high enough, Pitch told him. That tree towers over the house. Griffin was nearly insane. It's a million-dollar card. There must be some way to get to it. Dream on, Savannah said unhappily. Not unless you've got some miracle tool that can reach 40 feet up, pick out the tiniest thing, and bring it back down safely. The look of shocked realization on Griffin Bing's face was like nothing anyone had ever seen before.